This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On our episode this week, I have Susan Kaplan Carlton, whose newest book, In the Neighborhood of True, comes out on April the 9th. And in this episode, uh, we talk about her career as a writer and what went into this book, what inspired this book. Uh, so listen in. So, Susan, what book hooked you? When I was growing up, um, all the young adult novels that had Jews as characters seemed to be about like very important Jewish issues, very heavy the Holocaust, which of course we all need to read about and need to keep front of mind, the trauma of immigration, which are also important stories. But I didn't feel like I saw myself in those so much, or at least I wanted a break from some of that. And so for me, it was like, thank God for Judy Bloom. Um, I loved her books, normal American Jewish kids dealing with normal American life. Um, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. So honest about periods and bras and boys. And like many people, I loved Forever, which was so honest about sex. So, so definitely the Judy Bloom canon. Um, and if I was thinking the other book, kind of a different read that really has stayed with me, um, is Harriet the Spy. Mm-hmm. Because she's a bit of an outsider, and because she's a writer, and she's very observational, she carries her notebook everywhere she goes and scribbles things down, even though sometimes that's not such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she would be like just great at Twitter if it was a hurt this way right now. Um, and I love that she was an observer, that the way she figured out the world was by observing people, people she spied on, granted, but, but also her friends. Um, who were also outsiders too. So I really, um, I really related to Harriet. And so I wanted very much to be Harriet and to have tomato sandwiches for lunch and all that. <laughs> and so, as a kid, as you're reading these books, were you always trying to? Were you always seeming to gravitate towards books that you could sort of, uh, you know, find yourself in or relate to some way? Uh, you know, you weren't more, you weren't into sci-fi adventure, any type of those things. It was more like teen, our girl protagonists and just the adventures that she might have and just a way that you kind of examine maybe your own life or kind of see the world and related to someone that may be going through some of the similar things that you might be as a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it, but the way you phrase it, I think that is true. I, I'm not... As drawn to fantasy or to sci-fi, um, I feel like I don't appreciate it um, as mm-hmm. much as I appreciate just like a really detailed, fresh-feeling, <laughs> neurotic contemporary. That's more my lane. Um, and, I, yeah, I think I was really drawn to realistic fiction. Um, didn't have to necessarily be contemporary, but realistic. That seemed mm-hmm. to be where I found, like, I saw myself in the page. Great. And so, you know, that was more kind of when you were maybe, as a as a kid and preteen, uh, Judy Bloom, Harry the Spy. So when you got into high school, uh, because high school, you know, there's more homework, uh, there might be a more social aspect or activities involved, were 
books, do you remember books still being important or were there memorable books from when you were a young adult? Yeah, I think I stayed a reader. Um, even when the reading was assigned reading, I generally liked it. In in high school, I got really into uh, interested in journalism, and you know, I was on the paper and on the yearbook, and I stayed interested in journalism. So I think I was still drawn to um, things that were like observational. I had a lot of appreciation for nonfiction when I was in, you know, kind of creative nonfiction when I was in high school. But, um, but you know, these are, these are interesting questions I hadn't really considered. Yeah, I think that my taste, my taste grew up, but it kind of stayed the same. <laughs> and so at this time, or maybe was it around this time, because you kind of mentioned uh, the journalism aspect, uh, that you really got... Uh, more focused maybe on uh, your writing? Yeah, I mean, I think I came to writing as a journalist first. I mean, I definitely did. I worked in magazines for a long time, and um, I liked writing other people's stories. Um, and um, it took a while for me to figure out that I wanted to write my own. Um, I was, I was, and I think actually being a journalist is really good training for being a novelist, mm-hmm. it's that, you know, turning up the radar on the observational and sort of developing an ear for what's interesting and, and that kind of stuff. So, so I, I, I wasn't one of those kids who knew that she always wanted to be a writer of books and, you know, kept um, meticulous diaries. And I was more someone who would be given a blank book and would be, like, petrified to open it sure. <laughs> because... And I would write something that would be there forever. So, um, so I had to kind of feel my way into the into the novels. And so, when then uh, did it change for you uh, that you know you're still uh, got that journalistic eye, and that's when what you were writing? But when did it come to the point? What was that realization that maybe you wanted to try your hand at writing fiction? Well, actually, for me. Um, the magazine I was working for went out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, that was a, a turning point where I had to figure out what I wanted to do next. And our family had actually just moved from Maine to Atlanta. And I found that I was really missing Maine. And so I decided um, to write a novel that was set in Maine. It was sort of a way to, um, not this novel that we're going to talk about today, but it was a way to, it was sort of like my Valentine to this place I was missing. Um, and then I thought, well, this is kind of fun. Let me see if I can make a go of this. You know, you said you, you know, journalism has helped you a lot just uh, with kind of finding the story. Uh, and as a writer, then, do you find that just technically uh, you're kind of disciplined about how, you know, with writing that you journalism, you have these deadlines that, you know, you need to meet. Does that help you then? when it comes to uh, your fiction writing, your novel writing, the discipline of of having novels and having to have sort of more of a work ethic by trade help you when it comes to your creative writing? Well, I think that was my hope. <laughs> because, um, <laughs> because, you know, a journalist generally works under a tight deadline, even the monthly magazine journalist, which is what I was mostly, you know, still those months come around pretty quickly and you'd have to, sure. you know, produce your 3,000 word piece or whatever. 
Um, but I just, and I am disciplined. I do, I write every day, but I'm just slow. I, it turns out I'm just a slow fiction writer. And I, I feel like each time, each morning when I sit down and write, I think like, oh my goodness, I forgot how to write. <laughs> what, what made me think I could ever do this writing? A book? <laughs> so, to, so the, although the, discipline is transferable I have not yet cracked the code of how to be as efficient as a fiction writer as I as I am as a non-fiction writer mm-hmm. I'm waiting I'm hoping sure. but it, it hasn't happened to me yet and so when you started writing uh, these stories uh, did you write them uh, with an audience in mind an audience being uh, a young person a teenage person or did kind of the story come and then you were kind of thinking, you know, who this audience would be for this book. Uh, I worked in women's magazines, and um, and my favorite job was at a magazine now, now in the dust pile of magazines called Mademoiselle. Mm-hmm. And it, it's written for a young woman. Um, at the time, it was like written for a college-age woman. And um, I just felt like that was my reader. That was the reader I always had in mind. <laughs> I always feel like... I'm still that reader myself, you know, like I mm-hmm. at some point have arrested development, you know, in my late teens. So I feel like that voice is, is the voice in my head, and that's always been the voice I've wanted to write for. Your latest book, uh, In the Neighborhood of True, comes out on April the 9th. Uh, so let's start talking about this book, and tell me what, what it's about. It is a story of, um, it's historical. It's a story of love and loyalty and fitting in and speaking out. My character, Ruth Robb, moves in the sticky summer of 1958. She moves from New York City to Atlanta and finds herself suddenly in this land of sweet tea and debutante dances and the Ku Klux Klan. And so to fit in with a popular group in her school, um, she decides to keep the fact that she's Jewish to herself. She's just not going to mention it. And soon she's falling in love, falling in love with a boy, falling in love with life in the South, falling in love with a country club. And um, and it's easy to keep the secret until one night when her sort of two worlds come into conflict and she has to decide if she is going to stand up and lose everything she loves about her new life. So what was uh, the inspiration then for In the Neighborhood of True? It's sort of a personal, the, the story is sort of, I have a personal connection to it, um, you know, even though I wasn't around in the 50s, but um, our family moved to Atlanta in the early 2000s. Um, and the novel is sort of inspired by an event that really happened in Atlanta in 1958, the largest synagogue in in the city. And we, our family became members of, at the synagogue. And, you know, we got the, like, Shabbat Shalom, y'all, as, as New England was new to the South. And then I discovered about this, this hate crime that had changed the congregation and really changed the city of Atlanta. And our daughter attended Sunday school in one of the classrooms that had been um, bombed decades before. And and now one of our daughters lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, where, of course, unfortunately, that, that you know, um, 
anti-Semitism is so harsh and, and so um, horrifying. And so for me, I feel like you can draw a line from Atlanta in 1958 to Charlottesville in 2018. You know, because this story uh, is based on uh, you know, historical events and historical time, uh, and also is personal to you. Was this, uh, what was the difficulty for you in, in writing this? What was the challenge for you? Well, I decided right away I was going to super fictionalize it, but I didn't want it to be, you know, a nonfiction account, which is interesting because I have this nonfiction background, but I really wanted just to take this, this, I think when I heard about what had happened in the 50s, you know, years later, it felt so, um, like painful to me. It, it, it upset me so much that I wanted to find a way to kind of capture that emotion. And it seemed like the best way to do that was to fictionalize it. So, um, I think the challenge was being true to the spirit of what happened. You know, I did do a lot of interviews with, people who remember it, including the rabbi's wife, who's very much alive at age 95 now, um, to, you know, to hear what that day was like for them. But then I also wanted to make sure that I made it, you know, a full-fledged, full-blooded novel. Um, and so I, I guess balancing this two um, was always on my mind. And when you uh, are writing this story or ones like it uh, because you kind of mentioned there at the beginning of, you know, Jewish stories or stories where the main character is Jewish. Uh, how important is it that when you're writing, uh, you're able to give uh, maybe those characters, those examples, uh, those voices uh, to, to young people today that, that you had trouble finding uh, when you were their age? That's interesting. Um, I think I, in this book, I definitely set out to write a Jewish character, for sure. That was like the heart of the novel. Um, in my other books, the characters sort of just so happen to be Jewish. And mm -hmm. I kind of feel like <laughs> I kind of feel like that's how I am. Like, I, I just so happen to be Jewish. Mm -hmm. But in, in this book, I really wanted it um, front and center and this idea of Fighting, if you wanted to hide a piece of yourself, is really powerful. I remember in college, I was dating this um, adorable preppy boy who said to me, and I didn't really even think too much about it, which says something about me, but he said to me, um, before you meet my grandfather, I just want you to know, like, don't mention that you're Jewish. Um, and I hadn't thought about that in a while, but as I was writing this, novel, I was remembering what that felt like to be tempted to hide part of yourself. So I think I think that idea of hiding is what I had in mind more, in this case she's hiding that she's Jewish, but I think there are other parts of ourselves we sometimes are tempted to hide. Um, and so I was interested in that idea of you know, falling so deeply in love with a person or with a place that you're tempted to lose part of yourself. And what was it like uh, in your process of writing this book? You know, 
while it has historic roots uh, with the setting uh, and some of the events, the the real world that's going on around you and the news events that, you know, you mentioned Charlottesville uh, and there's been others, of course. What was it like having to try to tell this story and compose this story uh, in a modern day time now where uh, there's still uh, very visible and real uh, prejudice and just events that uh, mirror uh, the setting of the story, maybe? I found it just so shocking and upsetting, frankly. You know, I kept thinking, I'm reading a story like that happened 60 years ago, and yet it feels so contemporary, which felt both interesting that it made it, in a way, feel modern. Um, but, of course, it's upsetting to think that, 60 years later, we're still having the same conversation. One thing that was interesting about the what happened in Atlanta is that there was this sort of aftermath in in the in Atlanta. What really happened was 50 sticks of dynamite were put in the temple on a Sunday morning. Nobody was killed, but it it caused a lot of damage and it shocked the city. And um, and in talking, in reading about it, and in talking to people who remember it, what came through was that the city through came together after that in a way that surprised people. That the and it was white supremacists who were accused of the bombing. Um, but you know, the intention was to tear the city apart, but um, but people felt that in some ways it brought it. Together. And in fact, the, the rabbi's widow, um, her name is Janice Bloomberg, she wrote a memoir about the blast and she titled it The Bomb Healed. So in a weird way, there was like this moment of hope that hmm. out of a, a violent act could come, you know, fellowship and friendship. So on the one hand, that's inspiring when you think 60 years later of Charlottesville and Pittsburgh and it seems like hmm, maybe not yet. Sure. On top of being a writer uh, for not only the uh, you know books and journalism, you also teach writing. And so when you're able to uh, find time to read books that aren't your own, what uh, types of books do you typically gravitate towards? Um, I read I have a huge teetering, you know, to be read pile, as I'm sure we all book lovers do. And there's all kinds of stuff in there. I mean, definitely contemporary YA, um, but also creative nonfiction. I teach writing in in a college of communication, which is um, not fiction. You know, it's it's journalism and advocacy mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So I do read a lot of nonfiction still, and I love you know, strong creative nonfiction, and I read, you know, whatever novel is is um, catching my eye or whatever audio book the library has or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I, like, like most writers I know, I, I try to read a whole lot. And since you write YA, what are some YA authors or books that uh, that have maybe over the years... Uh, really uh, 
have grabbed you and, and really have stuck with you? Mm, so many. I mean, I think when I first started to think about writing YA, that was the time of like the Megan McCafferty books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in love with those with, you know, um, kind of badass Jessica Darling, um, Sloppy First, Second Helpings, all those books. I love those. I'm a John Green fan, but I was particularly a fan of Looking for Alaska. That, you know, I hadn't read anything like that when I first read that. And it seemed um, so smart. And I remember all the talk about the great perhaps. And that seemed to me just beautiful. And Rachel Cohn and Gingerbread, those were all the books that I was sort of pouring over as I was thinking about doing my own writing for the first time. You know, since you mentioned uh, you uh, teach writing, uh, could you give maybe me or some listeners like what is your what is your kind of main I'll I'll call it an anthem that you try to drive home uh, with your students when it comes to writing and you know whether it's nonfiction or maybe it would be fiction or whatever the case may be what is the you know the common feedback or the 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 major point that you're you find yourself commonly uh, stressing to writers and, and maybe young developing writers that you might face? So this is like super pragmatic. I try to embrace what I call the beauty of the TK. Um, in, in journalism, the capital letters T and K are like a placeholder for something that is to come. And I don't know, some weird saying about how it's intentionally misspelled so that a copy editor will catch it. Mm. And I find for, for me and also for my students, the biggest problem to overcome is just um, staring at a blank page and either being afraid to write something that is going to sound stupid or being um, or procrastinating or whatever. And so I just encourage a whole lot of TK <laughs> so that um, sometimes a student will turn in the beginning of a piece and then there'll be like three or four paragraphs that are just like TK, 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 TK. That's all information they know needs to be there and it, it will come. It just isn't there yet. And so um, that it, maybe it sounds silly, but I think there is great freedom in just being able to know that something will, having the faith that the words will appear there and not being so... Um, wedded to, um, I don't know, a word count or even an assignment that um, you get yourself sort of in a, in a doubt spiral about it. Mm. Just so do that and then move on and, and somehow magically the words will then come. That's great. I like that. So a few questions as we wind things down here. The first one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? I would say... Going back to my high school reading list, I would say The Great Gatsby in all its iterations. Um, you know, and I, I think a lot of very smart people think the Gatsby movies are terrible, but mm-hmm. the, you know, the one from the 70s with Robert Redford and Mia Farrow and the more recent one with Leonardo DiCaprio and Carrie Mulligan. Um, and I see that, I see they're heavy handed or whatever, but I don't care. I love them, love them, love them. I think it's like the world of, of the world and the booze and the lust and the, the topness. I just, I'm, I'm in for, 
and, and for all of us. That's great. And then the next question, is there a book or a series that you're willing to admit uh, you've either never read or never finished? Well, I would say it's a long list of never finished mm-hmm. um, or or never finished yet, maybe. Um, so, right, because it's like a fine line between never mm-hmm. finished and could still read. (laughs) It's just like a bookmark. Um, So for me, a lot of the classics, I like Ulysses. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. (laughs) Um, But but I even think the sun always, the um, sun also rises, which plenty of people, you know, it's a short book. It's Hemingway. It's not very hard. But I remember throwing that book across the room in high school and being so upset about the violence in it. So that's one I'm not going to go back to. Um, and I think, I think sometimes I used to feel guilty about not finishing. Um, and so it was kind of a point of pride to make myself finish something, to like power through it and finish it even if I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Now I try to give a book like maybe a, a fair shot, and then maybe sure. 75 pages or something before I think, like, mm, this just isn't for me. <laughs> and then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? So about just a few weeks ago, I finished um, You'll Miss Me When I'm Gone by Rachel Lynn Solomon, mm-hmm. and it slayed me. It's a YA that came out last year. Um about twins, fraternal twins, who at age 18 take a genetic test to determine if one or both of them have Huntington's disease, a disease that has devastated their family, um, and one test positive, one test negative, told from a dual, um, an alternating person point of view. And it's just achingly beautiful, achingly beautiful. And I just started, um, she has a new book that came out this month called um, A Year of Maybe, and, and I'm, you know, I'm a few pages in and already hooked. Yes. I actually did read uh, You'll Miss Me When I'm Gone. She did the podcast uh, back last year, and yes, I agree that is a oh, very did good she? book. Yes. Oh, did she? Oh. Yes. Well, Susan, uh, In the Neighborhood of True comes out on April 9th. I want to sh- thank you for uh, sharing uh, the story around this book and and uh, some aspects of your life, and I wish you uh, and this book all the best. Thank you so much. It was really nice to talk to you, Brock. Thanks. And that wraps up this episode of What Book Hooked You. I want to thank Susan Kaplan Carlton for joining me. Again, her book, In the Neighborhood of True, is out on April the 9th. If you like this episode, I hope you'll check out some of our many other ones, and please tell a friend. I'm Brock Shelley. And until next time, keep reading.